Hi everyone and welcome to Kids Under Construction. I'm Donna Tatro. Today we are talking to Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis, co-authors of The Parent Compass, navigating your teen's wellness and academic journey in today's competitive world. Cindy has been working in education for the past 25 years as a former assistant director of college admission, high school teacher, educational consultant, and author of five other education-related books. Jen is an educational consultant and professional speaker. As owner of FutureWise Consulting, she has worked with hundreds of students on every aspect of the college admission process. Cindy and Jen are also the co-hosts of a new podcast, The Parent Compass, and congratulations are in order. The Parent Compass was just selected as number five of 31 best new parenting books of Thank 2021 you. by Book Authority. Congratulations to you both, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. So let's dig right in. Um, first, why did you write this book? Cindy, you want to start? Sure. So uh, Jen and I had known each other professionally for probably the last 10 or 15 years, and we were both living uh, in Southern California, uh, although I've recently relocated to the Bay Area up in Northern California. And uh, about 19 months ago now, um, in March of 2019, the college admission scandal broke. And Jen and I were glued to the news, like many that were interested in that topic. We were especially interested because of the careers that we had working with teens and families uh, and guiding them through the college admissions process. And the two of us were just flabbergasted. We were shocked. We were upset. We felt kind of personally offended. We just really okay. were hurt by this whole scandal. And it, I would say we didn't write the book purely as a reaction to the scandal, but the scandal was definitely the catalyst for us to say, we have, you know, seen some of the uh, harm that overzealous parents can have during, you know, guiding their kids through the teenage years. And it came from personal experience that Jen and I just felt this need to want to help parents make better choices um, with the goal of being able to preserve their relationships with their teens in the long run. And so together, we just decided we needed to do something about this. We needed to help not just our own clients, but families all over the country and the world. And so we put our heads together and decided the best way to do that would be to try to write a book about it. And so here we are. <laughs> well, and you know, the book is doing really well. So it's really resonating with people. Jen, talk a little bit about um, the feedback that you're getting from parents at this point. One of the things that's been actually the most surprising that Cindy and I really hadn't expected was book clubs really um, kind of glomming onto the message of this book and um, diving in deep to discuss it. And so we've gotten some really great feedback from um, book clubs in general. And then we, we've been invited to actually jump in on some of their discussions. And it's been really eye-opening for us to see um, the pieces that people resonate with us the most. Um, you know, but beyond that, we, um, we've been really pleasantly surprised at the schools that have reached out to us, um, where there, some members of their parent body have given them copies of um, our book and wanted us to come speak on it. And um, it's just, it's really been um, a, a wonderful journey, honestly. And so the parent compass, what exactly does that mean? Um, talk a little bit about that, Cindy, as 
as opposed to the <laughs> helicoptering parent, this is kind of a shift in helping parents find that true compass. That's right. Um, so Donna, we had several different titles for the book. Originally, the book was really called, um, we came up with a term called parenticate, uh, parent etiquette, uh, a book that would teach parents how not to helicopter. In fact, another title was ground the helicopter or destroy the helicopter or something <laughs> of that nature. So, so the parent compass really seemed to be um, kind of a safe you know, guidepost uh, full of kind of tools and a roadmap to better navigate this process. And so between the two of us, we decided we wanted to sort of start the parent compass movement. And how are we going to do that? Well, we shared in the book stories and anecdotes of actual students and families we worked with, uh, some that were doing things wonderfully and others that needed some improvement. Obviously, we changed the names of, um, you know, of all our clients to protect the innocent. But at the same time, we reached out to amazing psychologists, thought leaders, teachers, headmasters, school counselors, and we surveyed and questionnaired many of them. And the feedback that we received ended up, you know, being distilled and included in the book as well. So we feel like we have this movement we're trying to sort of teach based on tried and true principles, combined with our own experiences of things that we saw that were working, um, where we had students that were comfortable in their skin and could speak for themselves and self-advocate and felt like they were in control of the process versus students whose parents just took over and steamrolled and these students were left kind of voiceless and listless and not really enjoying learning and just, you know, really upset. So we tried to really address the problems by surveying others and combining that with our own backgrounds. Really, really interesting. So let's move into then, Jen, if you do have that academically unmotivated teen, how do you get them more excited about school and, and not feeling this listlessness and, and, you know, parents hovering? How do you get that kid to just do for themselves? I think one of the ways um, that we talk about doing that in the parent compass is to um, help help get them excited about um, something, help, help expose them to um, a variety of things so that they might um, start to kind of spark an interest in something and get excited. And that excitement can kind of snowball. Um, I think also another really great, great way to motivate students is goal setting, which we devote an entire chapter to in the parent compass. Um, you know, it's interesting. We'll, I goal set with all of my students. I'm really big on goal setting. Um, we do it in our family. We, my kids set goals every day. Maybe we go a little bit overboard in that sense, but. Oh no, um, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> Sidebar. Really? Yeah. How, okay. how do you, yeah. how do you set goals every day? That's interesting to me. Yeah. Um, we, I really, when my kids were born, as a result of all that I've learned in my field, um, I really wanted to create a sense of intention in, in my family and in my kids. And so um, with, my, with my husband, we set goals every January 1st, and um, we set objectives for those goals, and then we do revisit those goals throughout the year. Um, and then for my kids, um, they're, they're smaller, um, but we talk about at least one thing that they want to achieve each day. And we do it on our ride to school uh, every single morning. And um, 
whether or not they work toward that specific thing, it, I guess at this point isn't really what I'm interested in, but I, I really want to set that, um, I set them up to embrace intention every day. I really love that. Okay, so then let's move back into the book since I pulled you away for a second. Um, talk about how to get kids really, really focused. Um, I think that's a difficult thing to do with technology, with the world, what's going on in the world, all these different things happening. Talk about focus. I think uh, focus is is really interesting. We didn't we didn't go into great depth on focus itself, but I think another way we could phrase that would also just be passions or you know just academic interests. And we all know as parents of every age that kids can tell you what their favorite subjects are and who their favorite teachers are. And sometimes their favorite teachers might be teaching a subject that doesn't really interest them, but the teacher is so engaging and passionate that it gets them excited about the subject. And sometimes the teachers with the best intentions can, you know, almost ruin a subject for a student who might say, oh, darn it, that was my favorite subject up until this year. And I think the communication piece really, really helps because we need to put our own phones down and we need to have conversations, yes. with, conversations with our kids. And I am just as guilty as the next person. Uh, I've had times, I even confess in the book, where my daughter has had to come up to me and actually you know, touch my shoulder and say, mom, I need you to look at me and I need you to get off the computer for a minute and I have something I need to tell you. And here's my child teaching me, you know, <laughs> that I need to also disengage. And so we've, as a family, really have tried, especially over the last eight months, um, I think we've had more family meals than we've had in a lifetime, <laughs> uh, which I always felt family meals were, were, were hard to you know, create. So many experts say, have a, have a meal together, have a meal together. And with all the after-school activities that we had and various schedules and various ages of kids, that was difficult. And so what we learned from um, an organization that we quote in our book called the Family Dinner Project, you can have these meals at any time. So you can have them at breakfast, you can have them at lunch, you can have them on the weekends, it can be an after-school snack. But Typically, when you're eating something, you can put down your device and have a conversation. It's just a social environment. And I think that does help with focus because it gives that downtime, it gives that connection, and it gives you a chance to ask your kids questions and, and listen and laugh and, you know, kind of relax a bit. So I think that just that process of communication, listening, and you know, putting away the technology, all hard things to do that take practice. And each of them we devote a chapter to. We have a technology chapter, we have a chapter on listening and question asking, um, and we have a question on uh, downtime. Life, you know, that we call it kind of life after 3 p.m. and what happens in that in that time period. So um, the books become pretty relevant even in COVID-19. We didn't write it with that in mind, but we've found from surprisingly from readers that uh, wow, this is actually really helpful <laughs> during this time too. So I don't know if that answers your question about focus, but those are some thoughts along those lines. No, those are great thoughts, and I think that uh, the the family dinner, quote unquote, the flexibility that you're advocating for, whether it's at breakfast time or at lunch or just on a walk, whatever that family time, uh, dinner time might look like, it could be different for every family. And I, I really like that flexibility factor in that. Let's talk a little bit about in your book where you talk about praising the journey and not the destination. I mean, oh, 
how how <laughs> how we have to only we have to do this for ourselves as well as adults. But uh, really teaching that lesson to children is so so important. Jen, can you talk to that? So we we did a lot of research along these lines, and we incorporated our own observations and. Um, what we learned and what we'd been noticing was that those kids who had been told from a very young age that they were quote smart um, and told that over and over and over again, it can become their identity. And when it does that, they are then less likely to embrace challenge as they grow because they don't want to topple that identity that they have. They don't want to be perceived as having failed. And so um, we advocate um, embracing this journey over the end destination, praising the effort over the outcome um, so that kids are more likely to embrace challenge, more likely to um, recover when they fail and, and, and even embrace failure. I mean, I will say that some of my um, students that I've, I've really admired are those that can look at a failure as a building block to where they actually would like to be. Um, and so another piece to that puzzle though, and we make this really clear, and this is from um, Carol Dweck's research on the growth mindset and the fixed mindset, um, is the fact that parents can go one step further beyond simply just praising the journey and not the destination. But when their kids might come across a mistake or a failure, um, help them work through that discouragement. And then the next big step is also help them to brainstorm ways that they can move past it. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's something we, you know, it, it comes at the beginning of the book. Um, I think it's chapter three for a reason, because I think um, it is so important in setting our kids up for success. I think also just to, to tag on to Jen's comments there and your specific question, Donna, about, um, you know, about uh, contributing to them and, and praising the praising the journey. It comes back also to the questions you ask. So if the questions you ask are, how did you do on that test? Or how was school today? Um, you, you tend to get, you know, really short, specific answers as opposed to a whole list of questions like, you know, what was something good that happened today? When were you bored today? Uh, you know, who did you help today? Or tell me one thing did you learned you ask, today. <laughs> did you ask a good question today? <laughs> right. Right. No, and I think that that's really important. And, and as, as you're talking, I'm thinking about a, a situation where I had with my son, who's a seventh grader, who's just starting middle school for the first time at a new school via Zoom, like so many other kids, and trying to help him, you know, guide him to become a leader, you know, and so there were openings for to run for senator. And I, I loved student council as, as, uh, as a kid myself. And so I had said to my son, Jackson, I said, why don't you run for senator? He said, you know what, I'll think about it. And I said, okay. <laughs> and then I said to him, have you thought about running for senator? And he said, you know, I just don't know. And then I asked him again, maybe if a week later, I said, what did, what do you think? And he said, you know what, it, it just doesn't feel right right now because I don't really know anybody. And so I, I had to kind of pull myself back and, and think about kind of 
what I was doing as a parent and, and trying to manage it. And so I went back and I asked him more questions. And I said, Jackson, why, why do you feel like it's not the right fit right now? And that's when he disclosed to me. He said, look, I just don't feel like I know anybody. I don't feel like people are going to know me. Um, and then I asked him, so how do you think you can maybe become a leader? How, how can you develop that? And so he thought of some other ideas and how he could get involved in school and get to know kids and stuff. And so I, I do, that really does resonate for me as a parent when I have kind of this intention that I want, well, I want him to help develop those leadership skills, but it really has to be the way he wants to do it. Not the way mom wants to do it, just because, I like student council doesn't mean that Jackson's going to like student council and, and really being open to understanding what they are saying. And I, I feel like as a journalist, I'm always asking questions and it's something that I think it's, it's a good practice in parenting to ask questions to really find out where your kids are. Well, Donna, the story you just shared is a perfect example of what we are trying to teach in the Parent Compass. And you, you know, sprinkled some seeds and tried to maybe plant them or at least plant some ideas. And you recognized that what interested you might not interest him. And uh, by taking that step, you actually, bravo, get an A plus for following your parent compass there because, oh, because we do, well, we do hit these walls and, you know, our, we talk um, in the first two chapters of the book, which the first chapter of the book, strangely, was the last chapter we wrote because we got through the whole book and then we felt like there was this really important piece missing and we tackled it. And I would say it was probably after our tech chapter, our second hardest chapter to write because that first chapter really forces parents to take a deep dive, look at themselves and self-reflect and look back on the beginning of their own journeys and their own upbringing and their own biases and birth order and the kind of student they were and the way they were parented. And we have these really tough questions that require parents to look hard in the mirror at themselves and kind of fix themselves before they can help parent their kids. We call it kind of the physician heal thyself theme. And, um, and you know, you're saying, you know, look, I'm a journalist. I'm a question asker. I was a leader. I want my kid to enjoy that possible journey. And he might say, you know, in this scenario, mom, I mean, I give him credit too for saying it's probably not the right time or maybe later, or I'm going to find a different way to, to try and hone those skills. So, um, so, you know, th that's what we're trying to do all the time. And by talking, with other, you know, parents about it, we do really create this village of other like-minded parents that can support us and, you know, not necessarily compete and compare and, you know, I don't know, this whole competitive parenting thing is what we're trying to stay away from. Which is what I love. And, and Jen, so what if you though have been that parent? Have you forever ruined your child, your relationship with your child? How do you step back and, uh, reassess. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that parents can do is show a sense of humility, a mea culpa. Um, and I think that's whether it's with your kid or whether it's with a teacher or an administrator. Um, I, I really do think apologies go a long way. Um, and so specifically, if it has to do with school, um, parents really do need to have that self-awareness to be able to go um, to whomever they wronged and, um, and apologize. Um, interestingly, in our um, interviews with teachers, 
we were, I don't, I don't mean to speak for you, Cindy, but I was a little bit surprised that um, teachers really did kind of separate the parent relationship from the teacher relation. I'm sorry, the parent relationship from, from their relationship with the, with the child. And if a parent had wronged a teacher, um, it was interesting to me to see that the teachers um, pretty much universally did not necessarily um, think differently about the student. Um, they may have been upset with the parent, but um, I don't know. Cindy, did you find that interesting? Yeah, that was, when you said that, that comment was so interesting to both of us. In fact, my um, oldest son, he's 22 and he is a brand new school teacher on the East Coast. Oh, wow. He is right out of college. I mean, fresh off the, you know, <laughs> yeah. fresh, fresh out there. And he's teaching at this school on the East Coast and he's had his first round of, of parent teacher meetings. And he's telling me, you know, mom, um, it is pretty amazing. These parents are, you know, kind of entrusting their kids in me. And I'm just this kind of young, just starting out. And he said, but some of them do need to read the parent yeah. compass. I think they would benefit from, <laughs> from understanding that, you know, maybe getting a B minus is it's okay. And here I can explain why this student is getting a B minus. And for some, a B minus is worth celebrating. And for others, a B minus is, you know, an indication that something's kind of amiss and we need to sort of work on that. But what he did say is that he loves these students. Mm -hmm. And I think teaching is a yeah. calling. Yeah. And, yes. and um, you know, it's a being in a school or even on Zoom, you're in an environment where you have these students away from their parents and, you know, being individuals. And you are, as a teacher, trying to model and nourish and fill their minds with things that you're passionate about, because I don't think you teach unless you're passionate about a subject or passionate about, you know, education. But that being said, um, it, it's very interesting because even he said to me, like, I don't, you know, I love these kids. I love my B minus students and I love my A plus students. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, you know, I want, in fact, he said, I'm disappointed when they're getting a B minus. I don't want them to get the B minus. I want to, you know, feel like there's not something I'm not doing to help you know, make that connection or have them be more successful. And again, I'm only, you know, giving an example of someone one semester in to teaching during COVID. But, uh, but that being said, the, the teachers that were very seasoned in all of our questionnaires and the headmasters that we asked, because sometimes parents have a tendency to um, jump over the teacher and go straight to the administration, which we really, really do not um, recommend. Um, and you're a middle school mom. So middle school, you still have a different rapport with teachers. In high school, it's really... It's really up the, to the kids to do all the self-advocating. And in middle school, we want to equip them and, and start to prep them to be able to have those conversations on their own and hopefully, you know, do role playing and brainstorm and encourage them to go to their teachers when they have issues. It's, you know, unless it gets too extreme and then parents can step in. If I could just tack on to that, I, well, I, I do think to go back to your original question, I think, you know, when parents, um, when they mess up with the school, my point was that we we did find that the teachers and headmasters are actually more forgiving than we than we anticipated to find. But I think where the um, you know where the the issue comes is with the parent's relationship with the child. So if a parent oversteps the boundary at school, they also need to make right with their relationship with their child because they probably spurned their child as well in some way. And so um, I think you know having those real um, honest conversations with our kids that are, that are difficult to have because we're admitting fault and it's shameful. 
Um, but that actually is what opens up the lines of communication with our kids um, and helps them to trust us more. Well, and I, and I think that's so important. Before I was a journalist, I was actually an elementary school teacher. I taught kinder first, fourth, and fifth grades. And what I always would say to parents and kids during um, conferences was, we're a team. So there's the three of us. It's, it's mom, dad, as parents, kid, student, and teacher. And we all have to work in sync together, um, you know, of course, in the elementary school years, and then promote that self-advocacy, which, which is lacking. And so I think if we could all get on the same page, parent, teacher, and student, it's, it's, uh, and, and have that mutual respect and self-advocacy, I think that we could uh, get our kids kind of out of this pressure-filled environment and, you know, kind of more of this compassionate understanding from parents. Um, so I could talk to you two forever. <laughs> you are amazing. But will you tell me a little bit about your podcast before we head out? Oh, I'd love to tell you. Uh, it, our podcast was actually kind of accidental. Um, it wasn't, Jen and I were interviewed by um, someone at a wonderful platform called smartsocial.com, which educates schools, uh, teachers, administrators, and parents, and teens, or, and kids on everything you want to know about social media and how to protect yourself and how to, their motto is how to shine online. And we were guests on that podcast. Um, it was one of the first ones we recorded back in August, and we really hit it off with our host. And um, a week later, we were having a, a follow-up conversation with him, and he said, you know, have you guys ever thought about running your own podcast? And we kind of said, well, we're just launching the book and this and that. And um, he offered us, you know, basically his platform to create our own show. And uh, it's been phenomenal. We've uh, been able to interview um, the New York Times, uh, uh, the, I'm sorry, the, yeah, the New York Times author, um, uh, or former, or he's an educational writer, Jacques Steinberg, and the Dean of Admissions at Penn, um, who wrote a, a book called The College Conversation. That podcast is going to air next week. We interviewed Christine Carter, a wonderful um, psychologist or sociologist and thought leader at UC Berkeley. Yesterday, we interviewed our beloved Kelly Corrigan. So we have a podcast coming out with her in a couple weeks. And oh, wow. um, the co-authors of Unacceptable, which is a phenomenal um, nonfiction book about the college admission scandal, kind of following several families through that journey. Um, and we just, we've had this wish list of amazing thought leaders that we've been able to talk to about parenting and their perspective on it. And um, actually we're interviewing Jessica Leahy who wrote The Gift of Failure. Um, oh, that's yeah. a phenomenal read. And Lori Gottlieb's coming on in January. So we've got this incredible lineup and we just feel so privileged that they want to talk with us. So Jen and I have really enjoyed kind of sharing the parent compass in a broader audience and and um, gaining more perspective from these great, you know, thought leaders and, um, you know, and writers and, and authors. So go to smartsocial.com or our website, which is parentcompassbook.com. And we have um, ways that those are, you know, those are uploaded there on YouTube, but they're also on all the audio, you know, Apple and Spotify and, um, you know, all those different places as well. That, that sounds amazing. Boy, I, I'm going to be <laughs> listening to those. That really, really... <laughs> Those are some great interviews. Um, thank you so much. This has been such a great education and conversation. Is there anything else, Jen, that you wanted to add where people might be able to find you? Yeah, so Cindy already said our website, parentcompassbook.com. You can also go on Instagram and follow us at Parent Compass. Um, and then we're also on Facebook, 
um, at The Parent Compass and LinkedIn under Cindy Muchnick and Jen Curtis. Well, thank you both so much. This has been so fun to talk to you. And you can find me um, at Donna Tatra on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget to download and subscribe. And again, thank you, Jen and Cindy, for being with me today. And thanks for listening to Kids Under Construction.